Well, please take your copy of God's Word and turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Again, it's a joy uh, to be with you. Uh, If you are a guest with uh, us this morning, um, if you do not love the sermon, come back again. I am only a guest preacher. Um, (laughs) If you love the sermon, uh, I, I live in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Please feel free to move there. Uh, I'm going to be reading Revelation chapter 5. I'll pray, and then we'll dive into the word uh, together. What a glorious chapter of Scripture. Hear God's word. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. All the earth, And he w- went and looked and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls of incense, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Father, your word is powerful. We pray, God, that you would use your servant now to bring this word to bear upon the hearts of your people. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. I pray that as the word of God goes forth, you would take it and you would plant it on the hearts of the people here, that it would fall in fertile soil, that it would reap a harvest 30 to 60 to 100 times what is sown. And we pray, God, that at the end of this message, we would all be able to say, Worthy is the lamb who was slain. We pray, God, now that you would give us your grace to hear and receive your word with glad and sincere hearts for our good, but ultimately for your glory's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Frodo Baggins was the only one worthy to carry the the one ring into the fires of Mordor. Anakin Skywalker was the, said to be the only one worthy to bring balance to the force. Only the, the worthy Katniss Everdeen was able to de- dethrone President Snow. 
Only the worthy boy with the lightning scar could defeat he who must not be named. The quest has now begun for the only worthy coach or quarterback who can bring their team a national or Super Bowl championship. Only the worthy King Arthur was able to pull the stone from the stone and deliver his people from tyranny. Only the worthy candidate can deliver us from a political, for a political victory. Our world loves worthy heroes who can deliver us out of hopeless and helpless situations. Why? Is it just because we love a, a, a feel-good story? Or is there something more? I think there are certain themes that are retold from generation to generation because they reflect the very fabric of our world. The worthy one who brings hope from hopelessness is at the very heart of our, of our world. If you are a non-Christian gathered here today, first welcome, we are glad that you are here. But I want to introduce you to the story above all other stories. The story that foreshadows all other redemption stories. I want you to consider the only one truly worthy of our praise and our adoration. If you are gathered here today as a Christian believing in Christ, I want to remind you yet again of God's glorious story of redemption. So all of our hearts may give glory, honor, praise to the only one who is worthy. Today we step into the middle of John's vision in the throne of heaven. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 are really one scene. Uh, Revelation 4 gloriously pictures God sitting on his throne in all his glorious splendor, surrounded by glorious heavenly beings who worshiping, casting down their crowns, saying in verse 11, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The scene continues, and and John kind of moves through this vision by by telling the reader what he sees. So four times in chapter 5, you see saw or, or looked. This is to draw the reader's attention to key aspects of the vision. So we want to follow those movements from the text to see what John saw, what John wants you and I to see. The first, he saw the scroll. He saw the scroll. So chapter 5 begins with John introducing a scroll held in God's right hand. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw that in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Notice that it was sealed with seven seals. The number seven throughout John's revelation was to communicate wholeness or completeness. The scroll being sealed seven times shows that it was completely and totally secure so that no one could see its contents. Second, we notice that it was in the strong right hand of God. It was secure with seals as it was secure in God's right hand. Maybe remember Jesus' words uh, to his disciples in John 10. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If anything or anyone is in the Father's right hand, it is safe. They are safe. Lastly, we look at, we must consider what is written on this scroll. Uh, there have been several ideas put forward on the scroll's contents, the, maybe the book of life, the last will and testament coming to the, uh, the, containing the inheritance of the saints, possibly a contract deed or a, a book containing God's redemptive plan. 
I think based on the context of Revelation and other prophetic material, Isaiah 29, 11, Daniel 8, 26, Ezekiel 2, uh, 9 through 10, I think it's probably most likely the, the details of God's redemptive plan. You know, it's hard to be certain, as many things are in Revelation, but the beginning of chapter 4, John says that he needs to show us what will take place after this. Again, chapter 4 and 5 are connected. They are one scene. So I think the scroll unfolds the end of history, detailing and establishing God's final eternal kingdom. I think that you'll see why that's significant here in a moment. The sealed scroll holds the details of all history. is a, a key theme throughout the prophetic books of Isaiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. As often is the case when we read in the scriptures, we are at a disadvantage uh, understanding all the implications that would have been clearly understood to the, to the first century audience. Uh, the scroll written on the front and the back shows the comprehensiveness, the extensive nature of, of the scroll. A very similar description in Ezekiel chapter 2. All that to say is when we're, when we're sitting here, when the first century audience would have heard this, this prophecy, they would have realized that this scroll was a very big deal. I think we can all see that ourselves. So one, we, we see the scroll. Number two, John saw no one. Number two, John saw no one. After introducing the scroll, there's movement in the vision. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the key words of Revelation 4 and 5 is this idea of, of being worthy. Only one who is worthy can open the scroll and break its seals. And it says here, there is no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that is found worthy. That threefold description says everywhere, there is no one worthy in all of creation. God the Father does not open the scroll himself, but he must have a mediator. So the, the question that is hanging in the chapter is, who is the worthy mediator? Now, we all know where this is going. I, I've read the text, uh, but I want to camp here in a moment of the, the emotions that the Apostle John is feeling. He says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy. The unfolding history in the, of the God-ordained future is shut up and no one will know. There, there is a sense of hopelessness here. Imagine if you have a, a little boy you love with all your heart. He is your only son the delight of your life, and one day he's diagnosed with leukemia. He needs a bone marrow transplant. After everyone in the family is searched, cousins, siblings, no one is a worthy match. And think of the pain of a mother and a father in that moment when they realize that everyone is not worthy. They would have wept loudly because no one was found worthy, desperate, helpless, hopeless. See, John weeps not only for himself, but for all those who would be lost. The future events of God's salvation and the establishment of God's final eternal kingdom will go unrealized. All hope is lost. I mean, have you ever been that kind of hopeless? Have you ever cried those kind of tears, desperate and helpless? 
experience the tears of the agony of hope unrealized. Friends, the the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would only truly be good news if we first understand the hopelessness of our own sin. The lie that too often is spread across America, and sadly, even in Christian pulpits, is that people can be worthy of salvation if they work hard enough, if you serve the poor, if you feed the hungry, if you care for the least of these, or if you're just good people, if your good deeds outweigh the bad, you could be worthy of God's salvation. Friend, hear me. No one is worthy in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. We are all sinners, and the wages of sin is death. John weeps because God's redemptive plan is left unrealized. He knows that he and the the rest of humanity needs a Savior. Those tears symbolize the, the hopelessness that we all have if we have no Redeemer. One of the reasons we must preach about sin, even if it's uncomfortable, and I say preach, this is why you as a parent must tell your kids, you as a, a grandmother must tell your grandchildren about sin, even if it's uncomfortable, because without sin, without understanding sin, we can never truly understand or appreciate God's salvation. I mean, take yourself back to that hospital waiting room. The mother and the father are on their knees. They're weeping because no one is worthy to save their son. Desperate helpless, hopeless. Then all of a sudden, they hear footsteps running down the hall. They get louder and louder, and then they hear someone scream, we found a match! We found a match! Weep no more! It's hard to capture the magnitude of the reversal between verses 4 and 5. There is a glorious declaration that that there is salvation, there is help, there is hope. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Friend, weep no more. Let your tears turn to laughing. Let your weeping turn to shouts of praise. This is a glorious sentence. This is the kind of sentence that can change your life. The lion has conquered. The Redeemer, the Mediator, has has conquered. If you look back in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus speaks to the seven churches. And let's just walk through this very briefly this morning about what was kind of setting up to chapter 4 and 5. So Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, we read, He who has an ear, let him who hears what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Verse 11, The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden man, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one who knows except the one who receives it. Verses 26 to 29, the one who conquers, who keeps my work until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star." Revelation 3.5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in a white garment, and I, will, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3.12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven, God of, from my God out of heaven. 
and my own new name. And then Revelation 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on the throne as I was also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you see this is building? John, Jesus warns all these seven churches about the one who conquers, and they're asking themselves, am I going to be one who conquers? And then they, they realize that they themselves cannot conquer, but they need to be connected to the one who did conquer for them. Jesus has conquered for you to eat of the tree of life, to not be hurt by the second death, to receive a new name on a white stone, to give you authority over all the nations, to clothe you with white garments, to, give, to make you a pillar of the temple of God, and to, to grant you to sit on the throne with him. Jesus has conquered the grave for you who believe. These are glorious truths for the Christian. Jesus has conquered for you, but only if you trust him. You must repent of your sins and trust in him alone. Jesus here is is identified in chapter 5 as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the the root of David. Both of these are messianic terms. The the first, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is taken from Jacob's blessings of his sons in Genesis 49. Let me read that to you. When I read Genesis 49 and Isaiah 11, both of these are referring to Jesus of the Messiah that we believe is is referring to Jesus. But I want you to notice the imagery, the imagery that that the Messiah is going to be this warrior, this, this warrior messianic king who's going to deliver their people from oppression. Genesis 49, verse 8 and 10. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. You stoop down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Again, they're starting to think about this messianic king. You even see that picture that his, his foot will be on the neck of his enemies. There's military prowess in that description. The lion itself is a, known for power and ferocity in battle. It's a good picture of how Judah will, will, will think of it. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered, and yet again, not the way the Jewish people were expecting. The second term, the root of David, is taken from Isaiah chapter 11. I won't read the whole context here, but at the beginning it says, There shall come forth a, a, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, The branch from its root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide, disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. These verses, again, may not be familiar to us, but the audience of John's prophecies, they would have been precious. They were longing and waiting for vindication of their Messiah warrior king. See, the the Jews were looking for an earthly king to free them from oppression. Even the disciples who walked with the Lord Jesus on the earth didn't get it, Right before Jesus' ascension, you remember that they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Yet he will restore the kingdom of Israel, but not the way they were expecting. The king they were expecting did not come in power, but as a lamb who was slain. Third thing we see, John saw a lamb. Saw a lamb. Beloved, Christianity, Christianity is, a, is a 
paradox, we conquer not by sword, but sacrifice. We win through defeat and humiliation. We have peace through the blood of the lamb who was slain. Look at verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a, what, a lion of the tribe of Judah, the root and the stump of Jesse? No, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And we went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The lion of the tribe of Judah is the lamb that was slain. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Again, the number seven is symbolically throughout Revelation is picturing complete wholeness and power. So seven horns, complete power, omnipotence of the lamb. The seven eyes symbolize the omniscience or the complete knowledge that God, that the lamb had throughout the earth. The eyes also refer to the seven spirits of God, referring to the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is sent by God the Father and God the Son to bring salvation from the end of the earth. The Spirit first poured out at Pentecost in Acts 2 is unleashed throughout the world to bring salvation from people from every tribe, language, and nation. Jesus Christ is the only one worthy to die to save us, for he was the only one who was perfect The only worthy one died for us. He paid the debt for our sin that we could not pay so that we could be saved. When there was no hope, he gave us hope. When there was no way, he made a way. He was slain for us. But notice what the text says. It was a lamb that was standing. He now stands for us. The lamb who was slain is standing. He was standing because death could not hold him. He conquered death in his resurrection He stands before God now forever, always interceding for us. So for those of you who are in Jesus Christ, who have come to him by repentance and faith, you are safe now and forever. You will never, ever be without hope again because Jesus is worthy. And God says that he's worthy because he rose from the dead. Now, if you're here and you're a non-Christian and you're still kind of considering faith, you're invited by a friend, let me just ask you, How will you conquer death? Have you ever considered what will happen when you die? I was talking to someone just on Friday who has a father who's nearing the end of life, and he is not worried about what's going to come. You know, I recently preached this message at my own church, and uh, during one of our Sunday school classes, I was walking through it, and one of my members, a dear saint, Miss Sharon, came up to me later. She had lost two young children when they were both four and six. And she wrote this to me. So you probably noticed that I was emotional at times. When you gave the illustration about the son with leukemia, at the last minute, a worthy donor being found for a life-saving treatment, it was a painful reminder of my own daughter's death. The first time I shared my testimony with a group of ladies in Pennsylvania, I, I used that illustration, except it was about Rachel. I sat down the hall from where my daughter was dying All I could do was wait and pray that some miracle would happen, bring her back home. I waited for the doctor to come running down the hall, shouting that they had found a cure. 
in my testimony, I shared that we are already dead in our sins. We have no hope, no cure. But Jesus is the one running down the hall. He is the cure. He is the life we so desperately need. If a doctor had come into the waiting room proclaiming that a cure had been found for Rachel, and I said, no thanks, we'll just wait and see what happens, what kind of mother would I be to reject the only hope that I had for my daughter's life? And yet those who reject Jesus as their only hope before a holy God condemn themselves to eternal death and torment. Oh, the mercy and kindness of God. The picture of thousands upon thousands around the throne of God singing and worshiping together one family, one heart, joy and Rachel there. Worthy is the Lamb. Friend, I don't know where you are with your faith, but I know this, that Jesus Christ is running down the hall to you saying, I have found a cure. I am the cure for your hopelessness. I am the only way that you can conquer death and receive eternal glory. Do not reject him. He's coming to you in love. Embrace him as Lord and Savior. We see here that the lamb is worshipped. He is worthy. He is worthy not merely because of his virtue, but because of his authority. Only God is worthy. The lamb is one with the father, and we shall see he is praised along with the father as being worthy. The only lamb who was with the father could take the scroll out of his hand. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fall before the lamb and sing a song of praise. And the song reveals the worthiness of the lamb. Listen to this psalm. This song, rather. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I think there's three ways that I think that we, we see of the, the worthiness displayed in this new song that all the church will sing. The Lamb is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. The next several chapters that we'll see how the Lord of the, the Lamb is able to reward those for how they've lived in this life. It is the Lamb who will reward those for their works. We know that throughout Scripture that everyone, every man will give an account for his works. Romans chapter 2, God's word says, He will render each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor immortality. He will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for those who do good, the Jew first and also for the Greek. Let me just encourage you, those of you who today who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and are laboring hard for Christ, often may be unseen, whether you are serving in, in, in the nursery in, in this church uh, or whether you're serving your family that you don't feel anyone notices. Know, know this, God sees. The Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. At the end of days, the Lord of glory who sees all will reward you because he is good. But I also want you to notice, this is a warning for those and all of us, the description of the lamb in, 11, in Revelation 5, 6 says that he has seven horns. Those horns symbolize his power. You know, I've been a pastor for ten and a half years as the main preaching pastor of a church. And um, I know that every time my church gathers, there are people in the congregation who confess Christ, who are struggling with sin. Maybe secret sins 
maybe sins in marriage or others. I want to warn you this morning from God's word. The lamb is glorious. He was slain for us, but he also will not be mocked. In the next chapter, Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, hear this. It says, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the rocks, the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of wrath has come and who can stand? If you stand in your sins and give yourself to them, you will not be able to stand with the lamb because you're showing yourself not to stand with him here. But if you stand with the lamb now, you will stand with the lamb for all eternity. The question who can stand against the, the wrath of the lamb is no one. No one can. We cannot stand against him. Our only hope is to stand with him. So if you're struggling with sin this morning, fall again on the lamb who was slain for you. He's not only worthy to reward, but he's also worthy to redeem. The reason the lamb is worthy is because he was slain and by his blood he ransomed people for God. Hebrews 9.2, it says, without the shedding of blood there could be no forgiveness of sins. I've already said we are all sinners. We've all wronged God, rebelled against his good word. As in the garden, when God shed an animal's blood to clothe Adam and Eve, so too God shed the blood of his own son to clothe us with the righteousness, the righteous robes of Christ. Jesus died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring sinners to God. The word ransom was a term for using a slave market to buy someone's freedom. Jesus bought our freedom from sin by bleeding for us. He has brought us peace by his blood. There is only redemption in the blood of Christ. So again, if you have not trusted in Christ, there is hope for you today. Today, you can weep no more because God has paid for your sins with his blood. He has died for you. And we know his sacrifice was accepted because of the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. He was innocent and paid the penalty of all who would put their trust in him. For our sake, he became sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, beloved, God does not merely want to save you from hell. He wants to save you unto his kingdom, unto eternal life. He wants to transform our lives so that we would live for his glory. He has made a way Will we follow the way of the lamb. Lastly, he's, he's worthy to reconcile. The beauty of God's salvation is that it's not merely individual. God saves us individually to be part of his ransomed people. The Bible is God's plan, is the, the Bible is God's plan to make people for himself. I should say this. This is not good in my notes. The Bible uh, speaks of God's plan to make a people for himself who are zealous for good works. The reconciliation that God brings is far more than just a personal reconciliation vertically with God, but it's horizontally with our brothers and sisters. We are reconciled to God, and we are reconciled as brothers and sisters from people from every tribe, every language, people, and nation. The church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational family. God will save people from every generation, from every nation, from every language, and from every tribe for his namesake. He's on a worldwide mission of redemption, and he wants you and I to join him. We are called to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So every year, Park Baptist Church and Park Hills Baptist Church give to missions because we want people who do not yet know the name to know the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it was his aim to go where the gospel has yet been preached and yet been believed. One of the reasons the Pillar Network exists is that the, the spread of the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. You know, so this past year, planting a church in southern India, and in Rome, and Italy, and um, in, in Bangkok, Thailand, and liberal Boston, even in here in, in Texas, we want to pool our resources together so that we can plant healthy gospel-preaching churches across the world so that the people can sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The reason why we give and the reason why we go is because Jesus Christ is worth it. His name is worth it. His glory is worth it. So we give and so we go in great numbers because of the worthiness of the Lamb. You know, in recent years, my heart has been saddened on how Christians so often are not leading the way in reconciliation. Christians are too often known for anger and disputing and arguing, but not for reconciliation. Beloved, the church is God's plan to reach the world. We want to display the manifold wisdom of God in sending forth the Lamb to redeem people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And the more we reflect the multi-ethnic, multi-generational family, the greater the reflection of the heavenly citizenship it will be. Jesus is worthy to redeem and to reconcile. Let our redemption be reflected in how we are reconciled to all people and never look at people according to the flesh, but only through the eyes of the Lamb. Lastly, the lamb is worthy to reign. He's worthy to reign. The Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he has made us kingdom, a kingdom and priest to God. We shall reign on the earth and rule as co-heirs with Christ. The kingdom means the church will reign and the priesthood means the church will serve. We will serve God and reign with him for all eternity. Christians have been transformed. We are no longer in the old Adam, but we are in Christ. We belong to him. We were bought at a price. We have been made a kingdom and priest unto God. We are a holy priest that offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How we think about our lives is so often mischaracterized in, in the popular Christian jargon. We must remember that our victory is not by sword, it's not by, by loud shouting on social media, not by the sword, but by sacrifice. Friends, we must lay down our lives for others. And Jesus showed us the way of the kingdom by giving himself for us. We must give ourselves to each other, to our, to our lost and hurting world. If we want to reign, we must follow the way of the lamb, which was to suffer for the sake of others. The way of the kingdom is the way of the cross, the cross of Christ conquers. The lamb is worthy. And if the lamb is worthy, the way of the lamb is worthy as well. The lamb was slain for the sins of others so that they may be brought to God. I would just ask you, church, is God maybe not asking you to bear with and lay down your lives for the sins of others so that they may be brought to God? The lamb is worthy to reign because he was willing to suffer. And I believe in, in the American church may need a rebuke for our lack of willingness to suffer for Christ. So encourage even today to think about your Sunday school lesson about not trying to love the things of this world, but to love Christ. 
I believe the seven churches of Asia would have rejoiced when they were counted worthy to walk with the Lamb, even in suffering. We see it all throughout the early church. What we see here, lastly, we see the church worshiping. The heavenly scene closes with a sevenfold doxological hymn to the Lamb, followed by a fourfold hymn connecting the Father who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The one who is on the throne and the Lamb are one. Revelation 5:11. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders of the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. As we go about our days, our culture will tell us stories. They'll tell us stories of these worthy heroes that came to save those out of hopeless situations. They love those worthy heroes because that is the ache of every human heart as they long for the one who is worthy. We need to train our minds and our hearts that every time we see the worldly longing for the worthy one to bring hope amidst despair, we need to turn our hearts to praise for there is only one who is worthy. Let us as Christians forever rejoice that we shall weep no more. You know, one of my great longings in this life is that one day, when the trump sounds and the skies are ripped open and Christ descends. He's going to come to me one day with his hands on my face and he's going to wipe away every single one of those tears. And I, with a chorus of myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands of saints, will say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain forever ever and ever and ever we shall all be together with our warrior king the lamb of God father I pray for my dear friends I pray that they would understand that you and you alone are worthy I pray if there's anyone here who has yet to bow their knee to Christ to the lamb who was slain for them I pray that they would do so today For we know from the text of Scripture, every knee, every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will confess that Jesus is Lord. God, we as Christians want to have our our hearts stirred against the hopelessness, against the despair of this world, longing for that day when the clouds depart and you descend in this kingdom kingdom of this world become the kingdom of, of God and of the Christ. Lord, we pray that we would live worthy lives in worthy of the worthy lamb. In Jesus' name, amen.